We welcome all of our new online listeners. Hi, my name is Dr. Stephen Finney, the hosting pastor of XL Church in IOM America. My wife Jane and I are blessed that you decided to join us. XL represents Exchange Life. Our church is an outreach of IOM America. Everything we do sits upon the pedestal of compassion. So let's get started. Enjoy the worship, illustrative videos, prayer, and weekly message. I just want to be where you are, dwelling daily in your presence. 
worship from afar. Draw me near to where you are. I just want to be where you are in your dwelling place. In your dwelling place forever. Take me to the place where you I just want to be with you. I want to be where you are, dwelling in your presence, feasting at your table, and surrounded by your glory in your presence. That's where I always want to be. I just want to be. I just want to be with you. I just want to be where you are, dwelling daily in your presence, dwelling daily in your presence. I don't want to worship from afar. Draw me near. Draw me near to where you. And when I'm in your presence, though I'm weak, you're always strong. I just wanna be where you are, in your dwelling place forever. In your dwelling place forever. Take me to the place. Take me to the place where you are. 'Cause I just want to be. I just want to be with you. I just want to be. I just want to be with you. Oh God, that's our prayer. We want to be where you are, dwelling in your presence. Feasting at your table and surrounded by your glory. Oh, that's our prayer, God. We wanna be where you are. Yes, we do. Dwelling in your presence, feasting at your table, surrounded by your glory. Surrounded by your glory. That's where we always want to be. I just want to be. I just want to be with you. Make it your prayer tonight. I just want to be. I just want to be.
God, we want to be there. Surrounded by your glory. Dwelling daily in your presence. Father, through the power and authority of Jesus Christ, we pray today. Father, as I look into the book of Revelation and I read about the sixth seal that the Lamb of the living God opened up, and you said there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. Lord Jesus, we honor you by this truth today. As I look into culture and as I look throughout the world, I'm discovering that there are few true believers that understand the seven seals that you gave us to actually give us understanding as to what you must do. So, Father, today I'm praying that the body of Christ will open their minds to the mind of Christ, that the power of Jesus' thinking can actually be thoughts in our own mind, that the redemptive value of releasing the Spirit within us can take away many doubts and fears and give us great understanding of the things that a human mind can never understand without the Holy Spirit. So, God, that brings me to my primary concern in regard to the people who say that they are Christian, and they're not. I remember that passage when you said, There shall be many that come before you, stating that they preached in your name, they cast out demons in your name, and they healed people in your name. I will never forget your response to them. Be gone from me, you evil and wicked generation, for I know you not. Thank you, Jesus, for those words. In those words, I see you making clear the doctrines of heaven, that the enemy is moving throughout the whole world trying to get fake believers believe they are truly authentic Christians, and they're not. So I pray for a great awakening. How can the people who call themselves Christians understand a seal like this one? I believe it will take the literal indwelling of the Holy Spirit to grant understand any of the seals that you reveal. So this is how I pray today, Lord, that the minds of the fake Christians would be convicted and led to the true authentic salvation that you offer, and that the true authentic bridal members of Jesus Christ would not hide behind their skirts of fear anymore, but they shall take the time to pray and believe that the Holy Spirit is living inside them, ready to give them supernatural understanding of the things you have written in the book of Revelation. Today I am grateful, God, in the faith you've given me to believe such a thing. And I only pray in your name, through your power, through your authority, by way of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
We are honored that you decided to join us in our weekly online church service. As some of you know, that we've been going through a beautiful, wonderful journey through the book of Revelation. This book has been labeled by most as being the most complex and difficult book to understand. There is nothing further from the truth, that is, unless you're not indwelt by the power and authority and personhood of Jesus Christ. We totally understand that it takes the mind of Christ to understand the mind of Christ. We understand that it takes the Holy Spirit revealing your thoughts, your understanding and discernment as we read through this book. I don't believe there's any human on the face of the earth that can actually intellectually understand and or explain the book of Revelation. This has to be done through the Holy Spirit. That makes reading the book of Revelation a bit for the elitist. If you want to call the true authentic believers elitist, that would be an accurate definition. God only grants his understanding to his children, the true bridal members of Jesus Christ, and we need to keep that in mind as we go through the study of the book of Revelation. Today we're on Revelation 25, and it's continuing in our topic of opening the seals. Today we're going to talk about the four views of the end times. We're going to do a little review of that, and we're also going to unfold the sixth seal that our Lord and Savior has revealed to us. We need to make a note at this point in time that the seventh seal, the final seal, does not open until chapter 8 of the book of Revelation. And this is why we're only covering the first six at this point in time. And before we move on to the sixth seal, we need to do a review of the four primary views of the end times. Let's get started. Replacement theology, one of the ideations of theology that is the most dangerous in the world today. The present-day lukewarm church is not only rooted in the historical tracts of Laodicea, but most of this movement claims that Israel is not necessarily the place of Jesus Christ's return. It is called replacement theology for a good reason. Replacement means replacement. I will be sharing more about this later, but now this. Replacement theology essentially teaches that the church has replaced Israel in God's plan. Those that adhere to the replacement theology believe that Jews are no longer God's chosen people. Can you believe that? They also believe that God does not have specific plans for the nation of Israel. That statement alone could almost send me into a holy rage. All the different views of the relationship between the church and Israel can be divided into two camps. Both the Christian church is the new Israel and the old has passed away. Replacement theology or historical pre-millennialist believe this. They even tout that the church is completely different and distinct from Israel but grafted into the Jewish Israel body while embracing the truth that Christ fulfilled the Jewish laws. Just for the clarification's sake, premillennialists 
believe that Jesus Christ will return for the last judgment just before the 1,000-year reign, day of judgment of God, stated in the book of Revelation. Particularly during the dangerous times, a true Christian needs to understand these four views of the end times. You need to pigeonhole yourself into one of these. I am very quick to say that there's some theology in each one of these views that overlap into the authentic view. We'll talk about that. Our first one is historic premillennialism. Historic premillennialism is the belief that the second coming of Christ will precede the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ, and that the church has replaced the nation of Israel as God's covenant people. This is where our replacement theologians hang out. Also known as covenant premillennialist, historic premillennialism treats the Millennium as a literal future event. Most historic premillennialists believe that Christians will remain on the earth during the Great Tribulation. They believe that the Tribulation will purify the churches and its members by rooting out false believers. They believe that all references to Israel and Revelation refer symbolically to the church. They are firm believers in replacement theology and that society grows increasingly evil. Let's take a look at number two, the dispensational premillennialist. Dispensational premillennialism is the belief that the second coming of Christ will precede the millennium and that God will still give the nation of Israel the land described in Genesis 15 verse 18. Before we move on, I need to make a specific point about the confusion over the second coming. Many people, when they get disturbed or they see global events that kind of cause some fear in their souls, they cry out and say, Jesus, come quickly. Or some more educated theologians would say, the second coming of Jesus Christ is upon us. Neither one of these are true. When people refer to the coming of Jesus, we need to keep in mind these are two separate events. The first event is the rapture, and that is not Jesus coming down to the earth. He is pulling his bridal members up to him. The second event is the second coming of Jesus Christ. He does not come until his Father releases him to come and begin the 1,000-year reign or what is referenced in Hebrew as the Day of Judgment. Most dispensational types are pre-tribulationist. They state Revelation chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 to refer to the rapture. When Christ removes Christians from the earth before the Great Tribulation begins, this is the answer to God saving them from the most horrid time ever spoken of or demonstrated in continuous history. Some dispensational believers, known as mid-tribulationists, believe that the rapture will occur at the halfway point of the Great Tribulation, covertly believing that the first three and a half years will be peace, 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 so therefore authentic Christians can go through the first three and a half years. This is not true. 
The level of destruction from the people is in the first three and a half years. The level of destruction that Satan imposes upon the people is in the second three and a half years. Basically, before all hell breaks loose, as they say, there's going to be a great divide, a great separation of the goats and sheep before the first moment before the Great Tribulation. After the separation occurs, he brings his authentic bridal members under himself, rapture, and leaves all the fake Christians, the followers, and even those from religions from all around the world. He leaves them in the hands of Satan so Satan can sift them his way. They believe that all references to Israel and Revelation refer to the nation of Israel. There is no replacement theology going on in the minds of a dispensationalist. Therefore, they are in complete opposition to them, these replacement theology people, and the society grows increasingly evil with or without man's attempt to make it better. Some of your modern teachers that support this view, leaders like Schofield, Chuck Smith, John MacArthur, Charles Ryrie, Charles Stanley, Tim LaHaye, and myself. Let's take a look at number three, post-millennialist. Postmillennialists believe that the second coming of Christ will occur after the millennium. The millennial reign described in Revelation 19:19 19, 19 and verse 20 represents a long period of time when, through the preaching of the gospel, most of the world will submit to Jesus Christ. During this time, Satan will have no power over the earth, and evil regimes will collapse. Now keep in mind we're talking about the post-millennialist. They believe during the millennium Christ will rule the earth through his spirit and his church. He will not, however, be physically present on the earth. I have no idea where they get this ideology. I have researched these four views for many years, and most of the teachings that come with three of these views simply cannot be sustained by scripture. One of the most significant differences they embrace is the second coming of Christ, the final conflict between good and evil, the defeat of Satan, the physical resurrection of all people, rapture, and the final judgment will occur together. Immediately after, the Christians clean up the three primary areas of the world, church, government, and economy. They believe this is accomplished during the millennium before Christ's second coming and final judgment. The irony here, it puts the works upon man, not upon Jesus Christ himself. This is why it's a grave violation to think this way. Mankind will be so corrupt by this point, it will take a God, the God, Jesus Christ, to clean it up. And even in those efforts, he is not able to clean up these evil people This is why he will have to deal with them through judgment. The earliest post-mill types movement that we are aware of started around 1135 A.D. It didn't become a popular way of believing until the 19th century, partly because the global era of optimism about the future and the fast speed of Christianity through the era of revivals. Preachers such as Jonathan Edwards, Charles Spurgeon, Augustus Strong, etc. found comfort in the movement's primary beliefs that the society can gradually 
improve through a great tribulation. It was these men and others that popularized this particular view. Their position on Israel in Revelation differs widely, but most believe it is a symbolic reference to the church, not literal, as indeed of land. And finally, number four, amillennialism is a belief that the millennium symbolizes symbolizes Christ's reign and the lives of his people from the beginning of the church until the second coming. The biggest declaration of Revelation's interpretation is in chapter 19, verses 11 through 20, chapter 21 through 3, and chapter 24 through 6. Believing it portrays Christ's triumph over Satan through his death and resurrection. While this is true, if you read the Bible carefully and authentically, you will know that even though Christ triumphed over Satan when he took his last breath on the cross, came out of that tomb in resurrection life, he still allowed Satan to propagate his lies of building a world government around his own power. They believe that the triumph restrained the power of Satan on the earth and that the first resurrection symbolizes either the eternal life experienced by persons who died in Christ or the spiritual resurrection experienced by persons when they become Christians. They also believe when Christ returns, they believe he will immediately defeat the power and powers of Satan and evil, resurrect the saved and the unsaved, judge them, and deliver them to their eternal destinations. One of the grave beliefs that the amillennialists believe is that the Christians will go through judgment as well. That would literally diffuse 70% of the New Testament truths that Jesus demonstrated, taught, and fermented in our lives after his death, burial, and resurrection. Well, how does all of this affect their Christian worldview? It's big time. They believe that the Great Tribulation represents calamities, hardships, and persecutions that have occurred throughout church history. The Great Revelation, or the reign of the Antichrist, has been in place since Jesus died on the cross. I hope you understand the calamity of that statement of belief. Either God said seven years and meant seven years, or he said seven years and that meant 2,000 years. Well, I take God for his word. And seven-year reign of the Antichrist is exactly seven years. God is not interested in confusing us. He always numerically and also in presentation of truth says it accurately according to man's ability to understand it through the Holy Spirit. Their view of Israel in Revelation is completely symbolic of the people of God on the earth. They believe that most of the Bible is made up of symbolism. Some of your modern teachers who believed in this particular view are Martin Luther, John Calvin, Abraham Kuyper, J.I. Packer, and many others. This group is in complete support of the Replacement Theology group, and that society gradually improves through the tribulation. 
that would literally defuse what Jesus is going to come to do at the end of the tribulation, why would he bring the sixth seal down upon the people if they had improved society through the tribulation? This is ridiculous ideology. When we look today at the what they used to call the emergent church, going back in history all the more, they called it the Laodiceans. Today they call it the social gospel church. Each of these fall into the amillennialist worldview. And it has strong overtones or a strong mix of postmillennialist and amillennialist. The reason why that these two groups is such a safe harbor for emergent leaders is because their view of government belonging to the body of Christ becomes their primary ideology or theological belief that Christians are to rule the earth. Their strict view of Christ not returning until they prepare the new Jerusalem for his second coming and that society gradually improves during the tribulation by the hand of the Christians. Covertly, it puts the power and authority in the hands of the Christians. Most of the original American emergent types, as well as many other modern leaders, believe that America might be the place of this new Jerusalem. An interesting fact here is that David Austin, that's Thomas Jefferson's pastor, was booted out of Washington, D.C. because of his announcement at the 4th of July celebration in 1801 in Washington, D.C., at the U.S. Capitol, stating that Washington, D.C. was the site of the New Jerusalem. Secondly, he answered the question people were repetitively asking as to why the Masons were so influential and active in D.C. Austin revealed how the Masons were called by God to be builders of this new world the New Jerusalem, and its society. It also needs to be noted that this group of Masons, as they are to this day, are white supremacists. Let's take a look at our sixth seal. This seal makes the beginning of the end of the second half of the Great Tribulation, of the seven-year reign of the Antichrist. God announces his period with the pretty serious bang, if you ask me. You know, small things like the great earthquake. I don't know if you're familiar with the great earthquake versus earthquakes. The great earthquake will separate Israel into three separate land masses. He goes on to say that the sun's going black, moon looking like the blood, stars falling from the sky, to the earth, I might add. The sky opens up like a scroll, mountains and lands moving and shifting like shifting ice. People are running to hide like scared rabbits. I can assure you that any announcement that comes with this kind of wake-up call is going to be a significant one. Keep in mind that during the 1,000-year reign of Christ, the earth is lit by the glory of God. Why? Because the sun has been turned out. This puts a full-on supernatural revelation and hosting of Jesus Christ for a thousand years, not dependent on anything from the first creation. Very important to remember. This is all God. 
Taking a look at our special note, the symbolic theologians view this particular passage as allegorical. The only thing I can say is, they better be right. This type of wake-up call is not something that should be misinterpreted. It's way too important. I believe each of these events is to be taken literally outside of the poetic expression contained within the doctrine, which is the case of the entire Bible. Before we look at how the leaders responded to God's wake-up call, we need to look at some of the significant factors within the alarm itself. Personally, I find it refreshing to watch God use the sciences of man to show his commanding power. To observe God put the shame of 6,000 years of man striving to use elements of science to prove that there is no God. And he does it all in 10 minutes. I can see why these scientists were running to hide under a rock. Let's take a look at what happens after God gets the attention of these scientists and their cultish followers. Once God displays his ability to command the rocks, stars, planets, and all living creatures to obey him, the kings, great men, commanders, the rich, the strong, and every slave and free man decide to hide in the cracks and crevices of the rocks and begin begging those very rocks to fall in upon them to avoid facing the hand of God. This tells me that they are completely aware of the wrath of God. It tells me that they have truly separated what they're seeing from science. It tells me this is one piece of truth they should have listened to, but did not. And so they are left with one simple ideation, the ideation of suicide. The scripture actually says, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? That's a pure acknowledgement, by the way, of an unsaved person. It's a pure acknowledgement of someone who is dependent on science, what they could see. These people of the earth are forced to reckon with the presence of God, His Son, the Holy Spirit, and an interesting factor here is being revealed In the calling out of these pagans and heathens, they are confessing to the four primary doctrines that God himself has been proclaiming for 6,000 years. It says his presence on earth, the wrath of his son, the great day of wrath, and their inability to stand against the power of the living God. This tells us a couple things. One is that these rebels have always believed the doctrines of God to mean what proceeds out of the mouth of man is what is in his heart. They may have never memorized it or studied the Holy Scriptures, but it is something that comes out of their creation. They realized in the end that what came out of their mouth is what was in their heart. That's right out of Matthew 15:18. And secondly is a confession that their refusal to obey Jesus Christ. And now it's too late. Years and years of fruitless rebellion brought to a screeching halt in a single day. So here is the deal. God allows man to spend 6,000 years reaching, researching, speculating, being consumed by the sciences to bring him, this person, 
to this point of realizing that everything that they have studied, everything that they have held on to, everything that they have assumed, according to Psalms 91 verse 6, was nothing but a big waste. The kings and the great men, rulers and commanders, free men, slaves, rich and poor, white, black, yellow, or red, will all be crying out for that loving, emergent-type God, and he will not be responding in this fake love that they are used to hearing about in the world. Without question, this would fall under the category a little bit too late for their pressing in on God to be an emergent God. This is the day that all rebels discover that their view of God sitting on an armchair over yonder in heaven, winking at the wickedness of man, chuckling at their ungodliness, never existed. This passage doesn't reveal a type of God the emergent liberals and postmodern or social justice people have formed in the minds of their followers and in their culture. Rather, it reveals the God of the Bible, the Hebrew Abba that promised to keep his word, to take vengeance on all those who persecuted the bride of the Lamb. What happened to the God is love, modalities that they were used to hearing about? Well, according to 1 John 4, verse 8, it tells us that God is love. All phases of God's characters are revealed in this timeline within the Bible. This is the period that God's grace and love are withheld from the world, something that the fake Christians have been spoiled by. The time has arrived where he will show a side of himself that has never been seen before by man, spirit, or creation. Deuteronomy 32 verses 39 through 43 unfolds the holiness of God in a rather startling way. He says this, See now that I, I am he, and there is no God beside me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal. And there is no one who can deliver from my hand. Indeed, I lift up my hand to heaven and I say, as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes a hold of justice, I will render vengeance on my adversaries. And I will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword will devour flesh with the sword of the slain of the captives from the long-haired leaders of the enemy. Rejoice, O nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance on his adversaries and will atone for his land and his people. Listener, listen carefully. This is not allegorical. This is not a poem. This is a stated promise to the people of the Old Testament throughout the New Testament and into the book of Revelation. God is serious about taking vengeance upon all those who insulted his bride. I wonder if the haters of God thought God was joking all those years. I'm glad myself that God is a God of vengeance and an all-consuming fire, according to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29 which says anyone who has set aside the laws of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. 
How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sacrificed and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said this, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, will it be terrifying for the indwell believers? No. When we get that hug upon the moment of rapture, it will not be terrifying. It will be the greatest comfort we have ever had. But as for the people of the Lord, who did not receive the message of the cross, Jesus Christ, and his promises and warnings, it will be a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. These emergent social gospel la-la land Christians are going to have a tough time embracing this particular seal because this seal is completely focused on God bringing an end to humanity and the first created earth. Their mushy minds of the postmodern liberalism will refuse to accept it. Maybe that is the reason why only 12% of the American Christians have even read the book of Revelation. Have they forgotten the prudent words of Isaiah when he said, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel, with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it, for the stars of heaven and their consolations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. That's right out of Isaiah 13, 9 through 10. This is serious stuff. Or what about the words of God that he gave to Isaiah that almost match those words line for line? When it says, And all the hosts of heaven will wear away, and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts will also wither away, as a leaf withers from the vine, or as one who withers from the fig tree. That's Isaiah 34, verse 4. Many theologians believe that this seal is the starting of the earth getting ready to conceive the new earth. Whether the new earth is a brand new planet, or this misconceived replacement theology redeemed type, know this. The mighty hand of God will shake this earth into convulsions that will gain the attention of all living creatures past and present. It's not just the people that are on the earth at this moment that will experience this magnificent moment, but all in heaven and all on earth and those who are under it will experience the shaking of the wrath of God. The day of judgment is soon to be upon all of us, The sixth seal is simply God choosing to close down the era of darkness and existence of humanity. Until then, let us pray for those haters of God that they may call out to Abba Father for salvation instead of clinging to a bunch of rocks. Thank you for joining us today. It really is a privilege to have you with us. Please remember... Click on that PDF link in the description box if you would like a copy 
of the slides today. Again, it has been a joy, and we hope that you continue with us as we take our journey through the book of Revelation. Until next time.